You know, we uh, all love stories, I think. I think that's safe to say. We all love stories, always have. And the stories that we usually love the most involve that despite all odds and against all odds, people with different backgrounds and all sorts of different backstories come together united around a common purpose or a common goal to overcome a common enemy or a common struggle or obstacle. Think of The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or The Princess Bride or Star Wars even. The common thread in all of that is you've got the main characters of the story, the heroes of the story that were not together when that all started out. When the adventure or the journey or the task began, they were all living separate lives and they all had differences and they all had backstories and unique contexts from one another. But all of that went away because they were united around the common mission to overcome that foe that presented equal threat to everyone or to overcome that struggle. And those kinds of stories, they resonate with us and they create something in us, a longing for the same thing to happen in our lives. And when we see those kinds of stories in real life, you know, in true everyday life, it it becomes even more impactful. Think about uh, the Hurricane Harvey last year when Houston was just underwater. And you had people not just there in Houston and in the surrounding communities rallying together and helping against that that incredible, just overwhelming force of nature, you had people from all over the country coming in. I mean, you had people from New York and from California and from Florida. They were all converging in on Texas to help those people. And all those differences and all those, those varying backgrounds, that didn't matter. They were all united around the common mission. Let's help these people. Let's get these people the provisions they need. And it united them. The same thing was true when we had severe flooding here just a couple years ago when Anstead and Raynell and the other communities were just totally devastated. You had people coming together from every county in ways that that we had never seen before. I mean, the flooding was historic, but so was the amount of help and the care that was given. It was absolutely historic. And all those differences... And all those varying backgrounds, it all melted away because everybody was focused on the common mission. The mission that was before them that affected everyone. And they all realized, hey, we're all called to participate in this. We're all called to take ownership. The mission is our mission. And it united them and it formed bonds that are going to last for the lifetime of all those who were in that together. The same thing should be constantly true of the church of Jesus Christ. Because the church, as we've seen throughout this series, is connected by many things. We've talked about the church being connected by serving and using the gifts that we've been given to work together, to fit together like puzzle pieces, forming one beautiful picture. We've talked about the church connecting around true community, which is all based on what Christ has done for us, and we have commonality there that transcends any difference. But perhaps most importantly, the church should be a church that is connected by commission. The church should be connected by commission, and it is connected by commission. And what I'm talking about is the Great Commission, given by our Lord and Savior before He returned to heaven. The Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 
says this, Jesus speaking, he said, go therefore, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's, that's multiplication. That's, that's saying to you, my disciples, I want you not just to keep what you've received from me to yourself. I don't want you just to keep what I've given you to yourself. I want you to go out. I want you to proclaim it. I want you to share it. I want you to give it out. Multiply. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Don't leave anything out. Everything I've commanded, everything I've set forth, tell them about it. Communicate that. Teach that. Grow them. As you're making disciples, grow them up. Don't just give them my gospel, my truth, my salvation, and then go off. No, mentor them. Raise them up. Teach them everything I've commanded you. Pass it on. And remember, I am with you. I am with you. Always to the end of the age. And this, this commission, this command, it was not just given to the original disciples that were there when Jesus gave this, right before they, they literally saw him return to heaven. It wasn't limited to them. It was to them, but it was also to every future disciple of Jesus Christ. That's you and that's me. So if you are a Christian, you don't have to wonder if you've been commanded or called or equipped to go out and proclaim the gospel that you have received. That's not the question. You have. The answer is yes. The question is, what are you doing about it? How are you living that out? So the Great Commission is ultimately what connects the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to share with you two quotes that I find to be very powerful about this and and incredibly impacting, and I think it will be for you as well. Steve Moore, who founded um, an international missions agency uh, that equips the church, the local church, and helps them to realize how they are to fulfill the Great Commission and gives them tools to do that. Uh, He's also uh, written a couple books, and he's responsible for taking uh, several different groups of people all around the world, all uh, all through the year, each year. And he said this, The Great Commission is too big... For anyone to accomplish alone, and too important not to try to do together. You know, we've been talking throughout this series about how we cannot do this thing called the Christian life. We cannot do it alone, and we were never meant to. We were never intended to. We have to do it together. Every aspect of our Christian faith and our Christian walk depends on us coming together in it. We're responsible for ourselves, and we have an individual relationship with Jesus Christ, but we have to remember that success in our individual relationship largely depends on our success in our relationship together as we all go forward as the body of Christ. And the same is true with the Great Commission. I agree with this 100%. I think it is too big for any one of us. It's just too large of a thing for any one person or even two or three people to realistically try to do that with that small numbers. It it requires all of us together owning this, passionate about it equally, coming alongside one another. It's too big 
too big for anyone to accomplish alone, and too important not to try to do together. And then this quote by Oswald Smith who was a a very, very famous evangelist and pastor, largely in Canada. But his heart was for a global concept of missions and for the whole church to realize that it's up to us to evangelize. He said this, The church that does not evangelize will fossilize. Isn't that great? The church that does not evangelize, and again, that's together, corporately, Yes, we're responsible individually to fulfill the Great Commission. I'm responsible to proclaim the gospel that I say, that I've received, that I believe, that I preach week after week. I'm responsible for that myself, as you are individually, but we also are responsible corporately. So the church that does not evangelize together, regularly, continually, will fossilize. What does it mean to evangelize? What's it mean to do that? What does that look like? Well, we don't need to make it unnecessarily complicated. We don't need to make it harder than it's supposed to be. Evangelizing, proclaiming the gospel, that might you know, sound kind of big and, and lofty, but it really is as simple as telling a story. And it's telling the greatest story. It's telling about a God in all of his holiness, in all of his separation from sin, a God who loved the world so much that he gave his only son to that world, even though that world stood in total rebellion against him. Even though that world had long since rejected him and everything that he stood for, everything he commanded, everything that he was about. As Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But nevertheless, that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Him, that one and only Son, sent to be the sacrifice for sin, sent to restore what sin had broken, sent to bring creation back to the Creator. Whoever believed in Him should not, would not perish, but have everlasting life, which was undeserved. It's telling that greatest of all stories, the story of rescue, The story of the hero storming the castle. The castle of sin and death that held every single one of us. And it's taking that broad story and applying it personally. And it's saying to whoever you're talking to, that story is my story. You know, we sang the song, My Story, last week. It's a great song. It's by Big Daddy Weave. And I love the part where... He says in the song, if I were to tell you my story, you would hear victory over the enemy. And at the end, after he he gives different examples of what the story would, would be, he says, to tell you my story is to tell of him, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, if you have come to Christ, if you have received him as your Lord and Savior, you have a story, and it's an amazing story. It's a miraculous story. It's the greatest story. 
And it doesn't matter if you were saved very early on in age when you were young and, and didn't really have time to do a lot of bad stuff. It doesn't matter if that's your story or if you recently, like within the last year or month or week or yesterday, it doesn't matter if you came to Christ late in your life after a lifelong example and story of disaster and ruin and wickedness. No matter what end of that you find yourself on, if you are in Christ today, your story is one of a miraculous rebirth. Because everyone's salvation is a resurrection story. It's the dead being raised to life. That's your story and that's my story if we're in Christ. And that's a story worth telling. It's the story that the whole world desperately needs to hear. And it's a story that wasn't written just for you. It was a story that once you have received and embraced, you're called to go out and proclaim and share and invite others into, into the story of what God is doing in the hearts of mankind. Because it's only that story, the story of redemption, the story of salvation, it's only that story that really changes lives. And we see a lot of example of brokenness all around us, of death, of despair, of discouragement, of hopelessness, of utter ruin. We're reminded daily of that. And there's always these conversations about what do we do about the state of the world? What do we do about this crisis and that catastrophe over here? What do we do? And we, we go into our, our halls and our meeting places and, and we talk about it and we debate and we discuss and our leaders deliberate and they write bills and they write legislature hoping that this finally will fix the problem. And I'm not saying that we don't do all we can to be proactive about the physical things around us. We do. We can't just sit idly by and do nothing when cases like we've been reminded of recently with more violence and And senseless killing, when that happens, yes, we have to do something. Yes, we need to be proactive. When we we try to combat all the endless examples of slavery still going on today with the the sex slave trade and, and other forms of slavery and injustice all around the world, we need to be active. We need to be proactive. We need to have strategy in place. And all that is good and well. But we need to all, as the church of Jesus, remember ultimately the only thing that ends that, the only thing that changes that is the story of salvation. The greatest story ever told. Do you know that story? Is it your story today? Has your name been added to the list of people in that story that found victory over the enemy? Is that true of you today? I hope so. I hope it's true of every single one of you in these seats. If so, hallelujah. But don't keep it to yourself. And don't make it too complicated. You don't have to get into all the ins and outs of all the deep aspects of theology right off the bat. Don't do that. Avoid that. You will lose them. No, just ask them their story. The people you talk to. You notice what I'm doing there? I'm assuming you're actually going to be talking to people. As you're talking to people, that's the go, therefore. Jesus says go. You know, and, and really, it's, it's as you go. It's as you go about your life and as you go about your routine and as you go about your your rhythms of life that you already find yourself in, as you do that and as you interact with people like we all do every day in multiple contexts, ask them their story and look for ways of connecting their story to the story 
and tell them a story about a Savior who loved them enough to leave heaven and to come and rescue them. And that no matter where they find themselves and how far gone they are and how far away from God they are, nothing is too far for him to reach. And tell them how your story became part of that story. It's important as we do that that we make sure we always go back to the one that the story is mainly about, the hero of the story. We don't get distracted with other details. It's easy to do. We need to keep coming back to the hero, which is Jesus Christ. People are are always going to try to to distract from that, and they're always going to try to bring this thing up and that thing up to, to kind of get you off focus. But when that happens, if that happens, you have to keep bringing the focus back to where it belongs, which is Jesus Christ. Because a story without Jesus at the center is no story of salvation. The entire story depends on him. It's all about him. We have to keep going back to that. And the importance of that is communicated to us in in Romans chapter 10. So I invite you to to turn there. I've got a couple verses that I want to focus in on that will be on the screen. But before we get to those verses, I want to start earlier. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. The importance of making sure we speak Jesus, that we talk about him, that we put the focus on him is communicated here. The reason that it it all rises and falls on him. Verse 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's recognizing that he is God. He's divine. He's not just some great teacher. He is God, very God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, see, it's both. It's confessing with your mouth which comes out of an inward confession and belief. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which would only happen with someone who is God. It's it's verifying that he is, in fact, deity. If you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's that's what it that's what it is. That's there. That's salvation. It's believing in your heart, recognizing Jesus is who he said he is, the only savior of all of mankind. God come in the flesh. You believe that, you internalize that, and then you proclaim that, you confess that, you say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe you are who you said you were. You came to do what you said you you did, and, and it's for me. I believe you are God, and I believe you are the Savior, and I need you in my life. I confess that you are Lord, and I want you to be my Lord. I give you myself. The Bible promises you will be, you are, at that moment, saved. And the story of salvation is, at that point, your story. And here's why that's so important. Here's why that's so significant. The the order there and, and the importance of getting both of those right the confessing with your mouth, the believing in your heart. Verse 10 tells us, For with the heart one believes and is justified. That's declared right before God. A restored relationship with Him. On good terms with Him, we could say. That's, that's really watering it down, but that's, that's the gist. A right relationship, right standing before a holy God. With the heart one believes and is justified. That's how justification occurs. Through belief, through faith. And with the mouth, one confesses that belief and is saved. You you see? You with me? 
with the heart you believe for justification and with your mouth you confess what you're already believing inwardly, you confess it outwardly, salvation occurs. For the scripture says, verse 11, everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction. Isn't that great news? No distinction between Jew and Greek, which is all of mankind. Because you're either, you know, you're a Jew or you're not a Jew, which means you're a Gentile. So that covers everyone. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, don't miss this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It does not say everyone except for if you fit this category. Everyone except for if you fall in that category over there. No, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And here's where it comes down to us, those of us who are saved, those of us who have done what was just laid out there, who have followed that and who have received that and who are, at this moment, a saved new creation. Here's where it comes down to us now as far as a responsibility. Here's what we have to do with that. Verse 14, Romans 10, 14. It's a good question that's asked here. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And church, listen to me. That's not something that's limited to the preacher, okay? Someone who's up here week after week. That's not limited to the pastor, the evangelist, the full-time missionary. If you are in Christ, each of you have been given an equal task, an equal call to proclaim, to announce the good news, to be a messenger of the ultimate message. That's for everyone. That's for everyone. It's not limited to someone like me. You're all called. You've been sent, all of you, if you are in Christ, you've been sent to be a representative and a messenger of the good news, of the greatest story. And in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 through 20, we're told that, we're, we're pointed to that truth, that reality. Paul there says this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Praise him for that. Don't ever get tired of that. Don't ever cease to be amazed that God reconciled you to himself, through Jesus, at the expense of Jesus, on the cross, don't ever let your heart grow cold to that because that is the most amazing news ever to be given. And no matter when you received it, it is still something that should amaze you. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, the reconciled, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, as a result of that, we, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore, or another way of saying that would be we plead. We implore you, we plead with you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the command and the call for each and every one of us. That is what is to be on our heart. That's what is to drive us. That's what's to motivate us. And there's no variation from it. There's no exemption. And there's no excuse not to. You're going to hear, as we go forward this month, you're going to hear week after week in the following weeks, people who have heard that call and they understand that and they've internalized it and they have literally left, in many cases, left everything to go and to do it abroad. And it's going to stir your heart and it's going to inspire you and it's going to encourage you. But please, just starting now and as we go forward, please remember that those inspiring things that you're going to hear and those encouraging examples and and those amazing stories that they're going to tell, by no means are they to be limited to those people telling them. It's something that is also meant for you to be a part of. And that may mean that God is going to call someone here to go out there into the world in some other place. That may be. But even if that doesn't happen, then you are called in equal measure to be just as involved in the work of missions, the work of disciple-making, right here where you are. Because if God does not call you to go out, that means He's called you to stay, and this is your area of ministry. Keep that in mind as we go forward. And that's true for all of us, individually, but it also has to be true of the church corporately. It's got to drive us. And the question that I, I, I ask of you, I ask of all of us, the question I ask of myself is this. In honesty, in introspection, are we really, are we really burdened for the lost? You need to ask yourself that question. I need to ask myself that question. Are we really burdened for the lost? Do we truly love them? If, if the answer is to be yes to those, then that has to be followed up by action. There has to be some proof to it. Because it's far too easy just to say, oh yeah, I, I am burdened for the lost. Oh yeah, I really do love the lost. Really? Okay, then prove it. Put some feet to that. And what that looks like then is that love is going to motivate me to go out and actually share and proclaim that. And, and to not stop doing that. It's going to drive me to action. I've got to say, yeah, that, that's important. I believe so much in, in the reality of not just heaven, but in the reality of hell. I believe in that so much, and I believe so strongly that billions of people are on their way there to a Christless eternity in the eternal torment of hell that I just cannot allow myself to stay silent. I can't just sit on what I know because I have the greatest remedy for all of the ruin of humanity with me, in me, and I have to proclaim it. 
If we really do have a burden for the lost, if we really do love them, then that's what it's going to have to mean. That's what it will result in. What that means is, may we all have a heart like the Apostle Paul did in thinking of the lost. Because here's what he had to say in Romans chapter 9. It's an incredible statement. I mean, every time I read this, I just... It's like, really? Really, Paul? I mean, you really meant that? And, I mean, he says he did, and he says he's telling the truth in Christ, and he's not lying. And, I mean, it's here in the inspired Word of God, so it's, it's true. But it just still blows me away when you see the depths of his heart for the lost, the passion that consumed him. Here's what Paul had to say. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is true. I'm telling the truth not exaggerating, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, his his fellow Jewish people, the nation of Israel, outside of Christ. That's what he's talking about. They are Israelites, the chosen people of God. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Can you believe that? Here's Paul, the apostle, who was outside of Christ who miraculously was brought into Christ and who realized all that that meant, all the, all the implications of that and all that he was headed for without Christ. And now he becomes this amazing ambassador for Christ and, and this leader in the church. But he says with all sincerity, but my heart is so broken for those that are outside of Christ. My heart is so burdened for the lost. My heart is so full of love for them and so, such passion to see them come to Christ that if it were possible, and it's not, but if it were possible, I would wish that I could be cut off so that they could come to Christ. That's passion for the lost. That's a love for the lost. And it's that kind of heart, that that level of intensity that we each need to have. And friends, you're not going to be able to generate that on your own. You can't just manufacture that. You have to have that given to you, placed deep within you, maintained in you by the very Spirit of God. So the challenge on each of us is to pray to God that He would give us that kind of heart, that kind of passion. Say, God, please place that in me. Give that to me. But here's the thing. Be serious about asking for that and be ready to do something about it because he will give that heart to you. But when he gives that heart to you, it's going to result in action. It's going to result in in actually doing something about it. You're held responsible for that heart. When he gives you a burden, you're then responsible for that burden. So just keep that in mind. But don't let that keep you back because the stakes are way too high. And if we're truly going to be burdened for the lost and truly love them, that's what's going to have to define us. I want to share with you as we close a very, very powerful video from a, a statement from a man named Penn Gillette. And Penn Gillette is part of the magic comedy duo that's been around for years, Penn and Teller. You guys heard of Penn and Teller? And 
Penn, Gillette, and Teller is, uh, they, they both are very, very unapologetic, very profound atheists. And they make, I mean, they make no secret about it. He's written books about it. Uh, he gives talks about atheism. And, and in their shows, they usually headline in Las Vegas. And a lot of their shows are uh, you know, pretty offensive toward Christianity. They're, they're pretty blasphemous in many cases. On one such show, after all the people were there waiting to meet them afterwards, that's what they do. They come out, they shake hands, they sign autographs. And at the end of this one show, there was a guy off to the corner, and other people had done their thing. And so Penn Gillette looks over, and he sees this guy in the corner. He's just standing there, and he walks over, and he, he introduces himself. And the man says, hey, great show. That was just really a, a fantastic show. And Mr. Gillette said, thank you, thank you. And he said, uh, what can I do for you? And he said, well... Uh, I actually want to do something for you, if it's okay. And he reached out of his pocket, and he had a small Gideon Bible that he had already on the cover written his name and his email and several phone numbers and said, if you want to talk after reading this, let me know. And he said, could I give you this Bible? I would really like for you to take it. And Pendulette took it, and the man said, again... Thank you for just a great show, and, and I hope you read that. And he left. He didn't make a big drawn-out thing with it. Well, this so impacted Penn Jillette, uh, the way this man was. You know, he was sane. He wasn't all fanatical. He wasn't argumentative. He knew he was an atheist, but he didn't immediately start in and just start trying to, you know, be combative about his atheistic position and try to defend his position. He didn't do any of that. He just handed him a Bible complimented his show, which probably was offensive to him on a personal level, and walked away. This man was so impacted by that, he actually recorded that on, on a blog on his own device. And I want you to see that video and pay special attention to what he has to say about, about people who claim to be in Christ and to have the truth but do nothing with it. Pay a special attention to what he says he's always felt about that, right? Watch this clip. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever. And you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this, because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about everlasting life if you believe that's really true? Gauntlet thrown. That's the gauntlet thrown down. So the question is then, for each of us, what do you believe? Do you really believe everlasting life is a reality, is a possibility? 
And if you really believe that, well, then that means that you have received that. And if you've received it because you know how important that was for yourself, you believed so much when you heard the gospel presented to you because someone loved you enough to do that, and you internalized that, you received that, means it was pretty important, then the question is, for each of us, what are we going to do with that now? And if we don't, like Penn Jillette said, then we can't ever say we really love the lost if we don't ever proclaim to them the only truth that will ever set them free. If we don't ever share with them the only story that will truly change their life, not just here and now, but for eternity. Let's not say we love them if we don't do that. Let's just be honest and say, yeah, I actually am good with keeping that to myself, thanks. But let's let's never let that be true of us. Ever. Ever. Would you pray with me? Before I lead us in prayer, uh, I, I have to give you this opportunity, those of you who are here, I have to ask this question. Have you received everything that you just heard about? Have you believed that eternal life is not just possible but available? Have you believed that it is exclusively found in Jesus Christ? And have you committed yourself to Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior and Lord today, not just the Savior and Lord or a Savior and Lord? Is he yours? Have you personally committed yourself to him? Have you ever done that? If the answer is no, I want to give you that opportunity today, right here and now. I want to make myself available to talk with you after we're done. I want to be available to pray with you. I want to be available to go deeper with you in the Word. And there's others that would love that opportunity too. Please, if that's not true of you, don't let another moment pass without you saying to the living Christ, I need you. And I believe you are the only Savior. You're the only hope that I have, and I, I need you in my life. I give you my life now. Don't let another moment pass without doing that if you've not. Is there anyone that would say, yeah, I've, I've never done that. I've never committed my life to Jesus Christ personally. I've never received him as my Savior and Lord, but I want to. I want to be written in that story. I want to be part of that story that you were talking about the story of the saved, the story of the rescued, the story of the found and the changed forever. I want that to be my story. I want to have a part in that story. Is there anyone who would say, that's me, would you pray for me, Pastor? Anyone at all? Anybody? Anyone at all? There's no shame. It's the best thing you could ever do. It's the most important commitment you could ever make. Anyone at all? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Anybody else? No judgment, no condemnation from me or anyone else. Just joy and love that we will pour out on you by receiving you into our family. Anyone else? Okay. I'm going to pray for this one and also pray for the rest of us, brothers and sisters, that we will be passionate about this. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for what you do in our lives through your Son, if we will commit ourselves to him. Thank you for making rescue and redemption possible. Thank you for allowing any one of us who come to you with faith and say, I believe, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was, the only Savior of mankind. I believe he really came to this earth. 
I believe he really went to the cross where he took my sin on himself. And I believe that by dying for me, he gave me eternal life if I will just receive it. And Father, I pray for that one who said, yeah, I've never done that, but I want to. I pray that right now, right where they are, that they would commit themselves to Jesus Christ, your son. That they would commit themselves to being yours. And that they would receive from Jesus true and eternal life that will impact their life here and now and forever. And I pray, Father, for the rest of us who have done that, who are already in Christ and part of your family, I pray that we would not keep that to ourselves, that we would not stay silent, that we would proclaim the truth that we say we have received and believe, and that we will tell the greatest story to everyone who needs to hear it. We ask all of this, Father, in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.